Good morning, dear Sangha. Uh, today is the 10th of June, in the year 2012, and we are in the Assembly of Stars Meditation Hall, Lower Hamlet, during our 21-day retreat, The Science of the Buddha. I think uh, we shall have the first uh, lotus flower um, blooming uh, in maybe a week or so. We know that uh, without the mud, uh, lotus flowers cannot uh, grow. The same thing is true with uh, suffering and happiness. Without the mud, the suffering, you cannot uh, create happiness. We create happiness, we create happiness out of suffering. And that is why we have to see the nature of interbeing between suffering and happiness. And looking into the flower of the lotus, you see the mud. Looking into happiness, we should see suffering inside as an ingredient. And this is very, very clear in the teaching of the Buddha. The four noble truths, they are linked to each other. And if you look into one of the four noble truths, you see the other three. And our tendency to look for a place where there is no suffering is not very realistic. Even that place is called pure land of the Buddha or the kingdom of God. And that is something that we can understand with our mind, our discriminative mind also. We can use our mind of discrimination in such a way that we can understand. Happiness is made of understanding and love and compassion. There are people who who have plenty of money and power and fame, but they are not happy. In fact, many of them commit suicide. If you do not have love and understanding in yourself, you are completely cut off. Without uh, compassion and understanding, you can relate to any other person. And that is why we can say that uh, understanding and love are two very basic ingredients for happiness. And a practitioner is someone who is capable of uh, nourishing, uh, generating the energy of understanding and love. But how to generate understanding and love? And the answer of the Buddha is to touch suffering. Understanding, first of all, is understanding of suffering, your own suffering that carries within it the suffering of your father, your mother, your ancestors, and also the suffering of the world. So understanding the suffering in ourselves will help us to understand the suffering of our parents, our ancestors, and the world. 
and with the energy of mindfulness and concentration, we can go home to ourselves and recognize the suffering and learn to embrace the suffering deeply, tenderly. And we can do that because we have the energy of mindfulness and concentrating, concentration generated by the practice of breathing, of walking, and so on. Those who do not practice, they don't have the energy of mindfulness and concentration. That is why they are afraid of going home to recognize and embrace the suffering in themselves. So the basic practice is walking, breathing, uh, eating, uh, cooking, washing. We have to do it in mindfulness so that we can generate uh, the energy of mindfulness and concentration. And with that energy, we can go home without fear to ourselves and recognize the suffering and listen to it. Suffering in Chinese, <laughs> the word suffering in Chinese, it means bitter, bitterness. It means also bitterness. There is a kind of melon called bitter melon. It tastes very good. Uh, dukkha and uh, we in, in English we, we like uh, to use the word ill-being ill-being rather than suffering ill-being le mal uh, And according to the law of uh, symmetry, the law of interbeing, suffering cannot be there unless something is there at the same time. It's like the left and the right. <laughs> the left cannot be there without the right. The inside cannot be there without the outside. That is uh, the, the law. This is the teaching of uh, Buddhism interbeing, Tương Đại. So suffering is there, it means something else is there, somewhere, very close. That is happiness, that is well-being. This is, uh, we are training ourselves to look at reality in another way. This is training. The Chinese word is lack, which means happiness. And suffering and happiness, they inter-are. It's like the mud and the lotus. Without the mud, there is no lotus. Without 
or suffering, there is no happiness. So when we confirm the presence of suffering, we confirm the presence of something else that that is very much linked to suffering, that is happiness, that is sukha. And we translate it as well-being. And in the basic teaching of the Buddha, uh, ill-being is the first noble truth, and uh, well-being is the third noble truth. They go together. Because the third noble truth is the transformation of suffering, the cessation of suffering. It means the presence of well-being. There is a way to transform, to make use of the mud in order to produce the lotus. Mm. And of course, uh, the second truth is uh, the making of your being, the path uh, leading to your being. If you do not know the art of living, you make mistakes and you create suffering. And that is the second noble truth, the making of suffering, the path leading to suffering. And the fourth noble truth is the path leading to the cessation of suffering, the path leading to well-being. It's simple. And this is the eight noble, eight uh, uh, noble eightfold path, and beginning with uh, right view. And yesterday we already have a good definition of right view, the kind of insight, the kind of view that is free from the notion of being and non-being. For that sutra, we need only to remember one thing, the sutra on the middle way teach us that the view of being and non-being is misleading and they prevent us to see reality as it is. So remove the notion of being and non-being, we begin to see the reality. In the conventional realm of truth, we say that there is and there is not. We can say to be or not to be is the question. But when we want to go further, touching the ultimate, we have to leave, to leave behind the notion of being and non-being. Otherwise, you cannot touch the ultimate truth. And that is why in the ultimate dimension, you can say to be or not to be, that is no longer the question. It was a question when you were at the, at the realm of conventional truth, 
But when you touch the ultimate truth, it's no longer a question because you are free from both uh, being and non-being. You cannot define the ultimate. You cannot define define the uh, uh, um, God in terms of being and non-being. To say that God is, is not right. And to say that God is not, is not right either. Because the ultimate is free from both notions. And the practice uh, of the path should be based on that view. The view of uh, interbeing, the view of uh, uh, the view that is uh, free from the notion of being and non-being and then free from the notion of birth and death also. And that is something we have to cultivate. But now let's come back to the first noble truth, Dukkha. When you go back to your suffering, whether it is fear or anger or despair or jealousy, and listen deeply to it, you begin to understand how it has been made. It means uh, you begin to understand, to see the second noble truth, the way we live our daily life, the way we think, the way we, we act, the way we speak. That be that uh, is based on uh, on discrimination, based on these uh, notions, have created separation, anger, suffering for us and for the other person. So we begin to see the second noble truth, the way of life that has led to ill-being. And when you begin to see the second noble truth, understanding arise. And understanding arise, bringing together with compassion. Understanding suffering always brings compassion. And suddenly you suffer less right away. Because with the energy of understanding and, uh, and compassion, there is already transformation. You have not done anything yet. The energy of understanding and compassion alone can make you suffer less right away. You have seen the nature into the nature of suffering. And you do not blame you yourself anymore. And you do not blame him or her anymore. Because you know that you are and he is not responsible for that. What is responsible for that is the way of living, the way of thinking, the way of acting, the way of talking. And when 
we have seen the second noble truth, understanding and compassion arise. And we suffer less right away, we feel lighter. And that is why the lotus is made of mud. Happiness is made of, uh, of suffering. So it is very clear that understanding and love, ingredients for happiness, are born only from your getting in touch with suffering and understanding suffering. Without suffering, you cannot create happiness. Without the mud, you cannot create lotus. This is very clear, and you see the connection between the two, ill-being and well-being. Without the left, there is no the right. There is, there is no right. Without suffering, there is no happiness. So imagine there is a place where there is no suffering. There is a place where there is no mud. You cannot grow lotus. You cannot grow happiness. Suppose you speak of the kingdom of God is a, is a place where there is no suffering. And you find that it's a very naive idea. If there is no suffering, how can you generate the energy of understanding and compassion? And without energy of understanding and compassion, there is no happiness. And you believe that the kingdom of God is a place where there is happiness. Happiness is born from what? Happiness is born from understanding and love, understanding and compassion. Understanding, first of all, is understanding suffering. When you love someone, you have to understand he is suffering. Otherwise, you cannot love him. The, the, the foundation of love is understanding. Understanding is first of all understanding suffering. So if you want to really love him or her and make him or her happy, you have to understand his suffering. You have to use your mindfulness and concentration to look and identify the kind of suffering that that person has in him or her. And look deeply to see how that suffering has been brought to him or to her. That is an act of love, looking and recognizing the suffering in that person. And if you need, you can seek for help. You say, darling, I want to understand you more. And I want to understand more about your difficulty and your suffering. I want to listen to you because I want to love you. And the other person may have a chance to tell you about her suffering, her difficulties. And with that understanding, your love will deepen and become true love. And that is why suffering is the foundation, is the ingredient that, uh, that is essential for the generation of uh, understanding and love. And in uh, any relationship, you may, you may like to check whether you have understand the other person. If it is a, a relationship that is harmonious, uh, where communication is good, uh, and then happiness is possible. 
And if uh, communication and harmony exist, it means mutual understanding is there. And that is why it might be important to ask the other person, darling, do you think I understand you enough? We feel that we already understand him or her deeply. That's not correct. We do not understand, we have, we have not understood ourselves, even ourselves. We have not understood our own suffering. How can we understand his or her suffering? So we should not be sure that we understand everything about him or her. No. We have to ask the question, do I understand myself enough? My suffering, the roots of my suffering. And if you have some understanding and insight about your suffering, you begin to be a good lover because you know how to love and accept yourself. If you cannot accept yourself, if you hate yourself, if you get angry at yourself, how can you love another person? That is why self-understanding is very crucial for understanding another person. Self-love is crucial for the love of another person. And when you have understood your suffering and you suffer less, you are capable of understanding his and her suffering much more easily. And when you are able to recognize the suffering in her, in him, and see how that suffering has come to her or to him, Compassion arises also in you and your heart. And you do not have any more the intention to, to punish, to blame that person anymore. The way you look at him, the way you look at her, there is compassion and understanding in it. When you look at someone with compassion, with understanding, you don't suffer. And the, the other person, when... Uh, look like that, feel very comfortable because there is understanding and love in your eyes. And when you look at someone and see the suffering and the making of the suffering, you are not no longer motivated by the desire to retaliate or to punish, but you have now the intention to do something or to to say something to help that person to suffer less. It means you have compassion in you. That is true love. That is why going home to understand suffering in us and understand the making, the root of suffering in us is the first step. It is uh, to do with the first noble truth. And when we have uh, come to understand um, our own suffering and the making of our own suffering, we are in a position to help the other person to suffer less. Understanding our own suffering, we can understand his or her suffering much more easily. And when we understand, suddenly compassion arises. And that is true love.
Love is the, the kind of energy that can help the other person to suffer less and to begin uh, to feel happiness. Love is the kind of energy that can help you suffer less and begin to taste the, uh, the taste of happiness. And suffering plays a very important role in love. And that is why the kingdom of God or the pure land of Buddha, according to me, is not a place where there is no suffering. It is a place where people know how to make good use of suffering in order to to create happiness. In the kingdom of God, in the pure land of Buddha, there are those who can educate us how to make good use of the mud to grow lotus. In the kingdom of God, in the pure land of Buddha, there are bodhisattvas, great uh, uh, people, great beings, who know how to make good use of suffering in order to create happiness. And when happiness uh, uh, is uh, disintegrated into suffering again, uh, they know how to, to recreate happiness. And that is why if we know how to handle happiness, how to handle suffering, if we know how to make good use of happiness, of suffering in order to create happiness, we are, we are inhabitants of the kingdom of God, of the pure land of the Buddha. And we should recognize the kingdom of God, the pure land of Buddha, by that, uh, by that kind of... Uh, a great criterion, a place where people know how to handle suffering, how to make good use of suffering in order to create happiness, because both happiness and suffering are of organic nature. So your relationship with him, with her, uh, depends on your capacity and his capacity to understand suffering in each person and in the other person. And know, knowing how to handle suffering, you know at the same time how to produce happiness. And if you are happy, uh, all of us will profit from your happiness. We need happy people in this world. <laughs> The fourth uh, mindfulness training is about uh, compassionate listening and loving speech. This is a very uh, wonderful instrument 
in order to establish, to restore communication and to help uh, relieve suffering. In every retreat, we should help uh, people practice uh, mindfulness of suffering, recognizing suffering in oneself, and recognizing suffering in the other person. Because recognizing and embracing suffering can give rise to understanding and compassion. And we can succeed in a few days. We usually offer retreats of mindfulness five days, six days, uh, a week. And uh, the Dhamma talk and the practice of breathing and walking and looking deeply has the power has the capacity to help us uh, uh, water the seed of understanding and compassion in us by touching the suffering in oneself. And if uh, we have some difficulty in our relationship with the other person, and if the other person is not in the retreat, we can always uh, meditate in order to see recognize the suffering in him or in her. That person may have done something or may have uh, said something that makes you suffer. And if you know how to recognize the suffering in him or in her, that could be very helpful. When someone suffers, and do not know, does not know how to handle the suffering in himself or herself. He becomes the victim of his own suffering. He cannot get out of that suffering. He cannot transform up that suffering. And he can make other people around him suffer, around her suffer. It's not his intention to make you suffer. He suffer, you suffer, because that person does not know how to handle the suffering in himself. And that is why his suffering is spilled over, and you become the second victim. It's not his intention to make you suffer. You have to see that. And that person needs help. That, that person does not need punishment. What? That person needs his help. And who is going to help him? You. You are a practitioner. You have to help yourself first. And then you will help him or her. If we know how to handle the suffering in us, if we can understand the nature of our own suffering, we suffer less. We feel lighter. We accept ourselves. We do, do not blame ourselves. We are at peace with ourselves. And you are in position to help him. You want him 
or her to do like you. And that is why you use uh, the fourth um, mindfulness training. You come to him and say, Darling, I know you suffer. And in the past, I did not understand the suffering. And I have reacted in such a way that make you suffer more and I suffer more. It's not my intention to make you suffer, dear one. It's because I did not understand your suffering. And I did not understand my suffering either. Now the situation is better. I have understood my suffering. And I want to understand your suffering. Because understanding your suffering, your difficulties, will help me uh, to behave in such a way that can be helpful. So if uh, you really care for, uh, for me, please help me. Tell me of what is in your heart. I want to listen. I want to understand. Tell me about your suffering, your, your difficulties. If you do, do not help me, who will? That is loving speech. And when you have uh, the energy of compassion in your heart, you can use that speech very easily. It comes very natural, naturally. There are many people who, who, who hate their father, who can never say something sweet to, his, to their father. And yet after a few days of uh, practice, looking at uh, their own suffering and the suffering of their father, they were able to use loving speech. On the fourth day, everyone in the retreat was uh, 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 was um, Mm. urge to apply what they learn in the in the retreat in order to restore communication. If the other person is in the retreat, that is much easier because uh, that person has been exposed to the teaching that person has practiced. But if the other person is at home. And then you can use your portable telephone in order to practice the fourth mindfulness training. You have to practice breathing, walking, so that you are calm, that you can understand your own suffering and his or her suffering. And when you hold the telephone, you are sure that you have seen the suffering in your father, in your partner. And uh, in just three, four days, there is transformation. And when you compose a number and you hear his voice, suddenly you find yourself capable of uh, speaking like that, using the language of uh, uh, loving kindness. Daddy, I know that you have suffered a lot during the last many years. I could not help you. I only made the situation worse. I have reacted with anger and stubbornness because I did not understand your difficulty, your suffering. It's not my intention, Daddy, to make you suffer. 
is about my ignorance, about my own suffering and your suffering. Now I I have understood some of our suffering. I feel much better. And I would like to know that uh, it's not my intention to make you suffer, Father. Just because I did not understand your suffering, so please help me. If you don't help me, who will? Tell me, Daddy, about your suffering, your difficulties. And they find it natural that can, they can speak like that, just after three, four days of practice. And when you speak like that, the heart of the other person will open right away. And that person will tell you, and now you practice deep listening, compassionate listening. And one hour of listening like that will heal him, heal her very quickly. You are the Bodhisattva of deep listening. The Bodhisattva Avalokita is not on the sky. He is in your heart. If you know how to listen with compassion, you can heal. You can heal him, you can heal her, and you can heal yourself. That is why we should know how to make good use of the fourth mindfulness training. Using loving speech and deep listening. The Bodhisattva of deep listening is in your heart. The seat of uh, understanding, the seat of compassion are well in you. And we need mindfulness in order to touch off these seats, in order to be able to understand, to be compassionate. And suddenly we find ourselves capable of uh, talking like that and listening like that in order to restore communication and to heal. In any relationship, this is possible. Even between two groups of people, two nations, the practice of deep listening and uh, 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 the use of uh, loving speech is very important. The Dhamma talk yesterday may be a little bit difficult for some of us, but please don't worry. I assure that you will understand. Uh, what seems to not to be easy to understand is that there is action, but there is uh, no actor. Because we are used to think in terms of, uh, of, uh, of self. And yesterday we, we mentioned uh, the famous uh, sentence of Descartes, uh, Je pense, donc je suis, I think therefore I am. According to this uh, insight, there is the, the thinking is there, but the thinker, you are not sure that uh, there's, there's such a thing that exists outside of the, uh, the thinking. The action is there. The feeling is there, but uh, you cannot feel, find a feeling. And then if we, if we look into the discoveries of science, we see plenty of uh, things that can confirm this. Uh, when uh, 
when we speak of our brain, of the neurons that that are working together. Uh, many people have uh, have uh, used uh, the image of a orchestra hmm. to speak of uh, the brain. A multitude of, uh, of neurons are communicating with each other, interacting with each other, exchanging uh, information, and together they they produce they produce uh, thought feelings ideas and notions and you cannot identify any neuron as uh, the subject the 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 boss it is like an orchestra but there's no conductor at all the same thing is true with a beehive. There are many bees working together like that. There is no director. And the, 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 the queen bee is not uh, the boss. Her duty is to give, to, to, to produce uh, eggs, uh, larvae uh, for, for the next generation. So there is really no, no self behind, no actor behind. And looking into our body, we see the same. There are a multitude of uh, cells working together. There is no boss. There is no proprietor. There is no actor. There is no receiver of the action. And in this sutra, you only remember that a few words the sutra on the ultimate uh, meaning of uh, emptiness, page 14. The fourth paragraph, monks. When the eyes arises, there is no place from which it comes. When it ceases, there is no place to which it goes. This is about no coming and no going. We have uh, spoken about this when we we talk about uh, the flame. We ask the little flame, where have you come from? And where will you go? And the flame told us that it has not come from nowhere. Not from the north, not from the south. And when it stops its manifestation, the flame does not go anywhere, not to the south, not to the north. So the nature of the flame is no coming, no going. So here the Buddha spoke about eyes. Why he speak about eyes? Because when the Buddha speak about eyes, he speak at the same time about nose, tongue, body, mind. 
because eyes represent one of the six organs. So when he speaks eyes, it means he speaks all the other things at the same time. When he speaks about form, he speaks about feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. So we have to understand eyes here as everything. So when eyes, the eyes arise, there is no place from which it comes. When it sees, there is no place to which it goes. And this can be understood as the nature of non-locality, of what we call objects. We think eyes as an object. And uh, physics is a kind of science that try to look into the nature of the object in order to understand. And uh, in classical science, the object, an object should be situated in time, in space, and should be not be mixed up with other objects. It should be an independent object. It should be situated somewhere in space and time at a specific place. But that is already uh, classical science. With modern science, that cannot be possible anymore. In, in modern science, what you study can be at the same time here and there at the same time. So we can understand this, uh, this teaching of no coming, no going as uh, the nature of uh, non-locality. Everything, the nature of everything is non-local. Thus, the eyes, without any real substance, arises. Because the eyes does not have a separate existence. Eyes should be should based on non-eyes elements in order to manifest. Like the lotus flower, the lotus should based on non-lotus elements in order to arise. So there is no substance, there is no uh, own being. Own being. There is no shows and so There is no ding and sick. Sva bhava. Self nature. So the eyes arise without substance, without self nature. Nothing has a separate existence. And that, way, that is when, when the contemplator, the meditator, look at something, he or she should see that that something is made of conditions and it does not have a separate existence. Any substance, it is empty of uh, self-being. 
It is empty of, of own being. It is the result of some action. Action here means uh, energy. And uh, there is no act at all. Act, action, there is action, but there is no act. The Chinese is available in the next, uh, in the page 16. There is action, but no actor. There is action, but there is no actor. And uh, if we want to approach the ultimate, we have to train ourselves to see things in that way. It may be shocking in the beginning, but we shall be uh, used to it. It's like uh, like we talk about uh, the rain is falling. Imagine the rain does not fall. It's not the rain at all. Falling is the rain itself. There is no faller outside of the falling. The wind is blowing. Can you imagine that there is a blower and there is a blowing separated from each other? There is no actor outside of action. There is only action. And in the exercise we learned yesterday, there is a breathing, there is no breather outside. Breathing is enough. And that is why when, 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 we, when we consider the statement of Descartes, Japan's, Donc je suis He is eager to demonstrate in a very logical way, scientific way, that the subject, the actor, exists. And it looks like uh, the act of thinking and the subject of uh, which is the thinker are two separate entities. The thinker Maybe something that exists outside of the thinking. But it's not obvious at all. When we look into reality, we don't see anything like that. So we have to, to make ourselves familiar with the fact that the, the thinking is there, but the thinker cannot be something outside of the thinking.
and we have the habit of uh, believing in an actor, a proprietor. That is why uh, we believe that the action is different from the actor. But in fact, outside of the action, there is no actor. In uh, Confucianism, they say that the king kings, the subject subjects, the father fathers, and the son sons. Quân quân. We have to translate like this: the king. Kings. This is this is a verb. This is a verb. That's the act of ruling. There is only the ruling. There is no ruler. The king kings. The subject. The father, father, and the son, sons. Outside of fathering, there is no father. Outside of action, there is no subject. And that is why this is something difficult but understandable. We should uh, we should uh, look into page forty three. Này Cũng có thầy đâu? Cũng có thầy à? Let us look at uh, page 29 first. Uh, the fifth, uh, the fifth uh, verse. 
all conditioned things undergo change at every instant. This is uh, easy to understand. Everything is changing very quickly. Everything is impermanent. They don't remain the same thing in two consecutive uh, moments. Their abiding is not something real, much less their function. So this is a a relationship between subject and uh, subject of action and action itself. So, so the wind is winding, the wind is blowing, and blowing is the wind itself. All we can say is that the arising is the function and the arising is also the agent. If you look into the signs, you see that tức thuyết bị san khởi vi dụng vi tác giả. We can say that uh, its arising is uh, its own function and its own agent. You cannot find an agent uh, and its subject outside of uh, of the action. There is uh, the thinking, there is the thought, but there is no thinker. Let us continue with the sixth one. It's very plain, but very astonishing. Eyes cannot see form, ear cannot hear sound, the nose does not smell scent, the tongue does not taste an object, the body does not feel touch, the mind does not recognize object of mind. However, in the organs and objects of sense, there is no one who maintains or begins the perception. In our daily talking, we say the eye sees, the eye see things, the eye see things. The the nose smells, the ear uh, hears. And that is natural because that is our way of thinking. We think that must be a doer, an actor, in order for the action to be possible. So we, we see the I see. The I see. So to see is the action, and, uh, and the actor the subject of seeing is the eye. There is a subject and a verb. That is the way we used to think. Eating, there must be someone in order to make the eating possible. If there is no, no one, how can the eating be possible? That's what we think. Thinking, if there is no thinker, how can the thinking take place? That's the way we believe. But here we are taught that 
It's not the eyes that sees. And this is understandable. So the eyes is only a condition among many conditions in order for sight is become possible. The eyes is a condition. The eyes is not the seer. We know that uh, behind the eyes there is uh, optic nerves. There is the brain. There are many, many other things. And all of them are conditions. And without these conditions, uh, the seeing is not possible. So the eye is not the subject. The eye is only one condition that makes the seeing into something possible. Suppose there is no light. The scene is impossible also. So conditions for seeing are both inside of us and outside of us. So there is the eyes. And there is form. and the contact between eyes and form with the support of many other conditions give rise to sight. To a perception. And uh, the other day we spoke of perception as something including Subject and object. I hope uh, everyone remember. <laughs> the tướng phần by repeating like this, uh, we can understand. This this is Daksana uh, Bhaga, the perceiver, and this one represents uh, the sign, the object. So this is the perception, the sight, and the eyes is only one of the conditions. The form another condition, and there are a multitude of conditions outside and inside, in order to help bring sight into reality. And we speak about uh, the foundation of both. We call it the Thế Phật. Từ thế phần ao từ chính phần. And all conditions are here in order to help 
a perception, a sight to manifest. And we can discuss, and we can distinguish between subject and object of seeing. And to say that the eyes is seeing is right, is wrong. It's very clear. The sight does not see. The eyes does not see. The eyes is only one condition among a multitude of conditions in order to produce what we call sight, a perception. And that is why in the sutra it is said, eyes, eyes does not see. There is no actor outside of the action. Seeing is an action, but there is no seer. This is only one condition among many conditions. When we look into this flower, this is a meditation. When we look into this flower, first, first we may think that the flower is in itself. The flower is inside of herself. The flower can be located in space and time. The flower is different from the rest. There is a separate existence, and that is the first feeling. But looking deeply, we see that in the flower, there is the whole cosmos in it. Clouds are in it, sunshine are in it, the earth are in it, and even your consciousness is in it. And we can see that the flower is interacting with this uh, environment in this very moment. In the past, of course, but now, at this very moment, the flower is uh, interacting with its uh, uh, environment, is interacting with air, with light, with uh, everything. So the flower is not exactly inside of herself. The flower is uh, more than the locality that we can ascribe to her and the appearance that we ascribe to her. When we look at our own person, we are a kind of flower. Each of us is a flower in the garden of humanity. And we believe that we are only here inside of our skin, and that is not true. We are interacting with our environment. We are breathing in, breathing out. And there is, uh, our energy is not only inside, but outside. We are interacting with uh, the, the electromagnetic field. 
around us, and and we are we are it. So the feeling that we are only inside our skin is wrong. We are also at the same time around. Our nature is also non-local. We cannot be situated in space and time. Uh, that is why in uh, the Avatamsaka Sutra, it is said that the one contains the multitude. And that is why when we speak of uh, an electron as object of science, it is an object. Uh, how can it observe? How can we definite uh, the position, uh, the mass of uh, an electron? The electron is not only its uh, neck mass, The neck mass of an electron that you can measure is not the whole of the electron. The electron is also the kind of uh, self-energy, it's action. And that self-energy is the result of the interaction between the electron and its uh, electromagnetic field. Always like that. The electron is not in itself. The electron is also outside itself. So if you want to observe, if you want to understand the nature of electron, you have to to know that uh, the electron is made of not only the neck mass. The flower is not only inside of itself. It is interacting with the whole cosmos. And you have to take into account the cosmos, the environment behind, in order to really see the flower. And that is why... Uh, in the Avatamsaka uh, Sutra, there is a story of uh, someone who go to the Yama heaven. It's a realm of being called Yama. Someone who, who came from the earth to the realm of Yama. And he was very surprised to see the Buddha 
teaching in Yama heaven. Because uh, when he left the earth, Buddha Shakyamuni was still teaching there. And yet when he come up here, he see the same Buddha teaching. It turned out to be the Buddha is not situated. His Buddha is not situated in a locality. The nature of the Buddha is non-local. One electron can be here and there at the same time. The same thing is you. You can be there and here at the same time. And this is not something very difficult to understand. When you look into you, you see Thay in you. And when you look into Thay, you see you in Thay. Thay was uh, not uh, allowed to go home to his country 40 years. And yet many people revisiting Vietnam during that time and come back, they said that they felt Thay's presence in Vietnam. Very close, very, very clear. He can touch Thay's presence in Vietnam. So if you look at uh, Thay and you think that Thay is in his skin, you are wrong. <laughs> Thay's nature is non-local. Uh, because Thay is like a flower, is like the electron. He is interacting always with the uh, electromagnetic field around, environment around. And if you think that this is Thay, you are wrong. In the Lotus Sutra, there is one chapter very beautiful about this. Shakyamuni was uh, teaching, preaching the Lotus Sutra. Suddenly, there is uh, a very beautiful voice in space saying, Wonderful, wonderful Shakyamuni Buddha, you are teaching the Lotus Sutra. And when people hear that, they look up and see a very beautiful stupa uh, in the sky. And they turn to the Buddha and ask, what is that? The Buddha said that in the old time there was a Buddha. His name is Ratna Prabhuta, Dabao. And the Buddha, Ratna Prabhupada, said that well, the teaching of the Lotus Sutra telling us that everyone has Buddha nature, everyone can become a Buddha, even if, not, if, if that is not a human being. Because every, every being, whether animal, vegetable, and mineral, they all have Buddha nature, the nature of enlightenment, the nature of Nirvana. So I make the vow that every time there is a Buddha teaching the Lotus Sutra, I will come and congratulate him. Uh, so the Buddha, uh, Sakyamuni Buddha told his audience that uh, in the old time, there was a Buddha whose name is Ratna Prabhupada, and he made that vow. That is why today 
your teacher is giving you the teaching of uh, Lotus Sutra. That is why he has come with his uh, uh, stupa in order to uh, uh, to congratulate uh, your teacher. And uh, the audience uh, hear the voice, beautiful voice of Buddha, but uh, could not see him. So he, they 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 ask uh, the teacher Sakyamuna Sakyamuni. Buddha to do such a way to invite uh, the Buddha inside of stupa to open the door so that they can see that Buddha. And Shakyamuni said that this is a difficult thing to do. <laughs> In order to ask him to open up so for, 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 for us to see him, I had to call all my transformation bodies home here in order to do so. Because if you think that he is only me, I am only here, you are wrong. I am a little bit everywhere. Your teacher is a little bit everywhere. So I have to call all my transformation bodies back here in order to ask for the, for the opening of uh, the, the, the stupa. And then the Buddha used his concentration and swept the cosmos with his uh, ray of mindfulness and concentration, and suddenly appear many Shakyamuni Buddha from all directions, countless Shakyamuni Buddhas. And that was a surprise for the audience. Up until now, they thought that that tiny person in front of them is is Shakyamuni. But now they realize that that teacher is everywhere. The first time they see the real Dharma body of that teacher. And when all, he, all, all the transformation bodies that, uh, that, that Shakyamuni have sent to every direction to teach and to help people have gathered back here, and then he opened his mouth and asked uh, Ratna Prabhuta to open the door so that he's audience can see. And, uh, and when the door opened, those who are on the same level could see, but the audience sitting down here could not see at all. And they asked the Buddha Shakyamuni to help them to come up higher and higher in order for them to look in and to see uh, the other Buddha. Uh, this is, uh, this is one uh, chapter in the Lotus Sutra, very beautiful. And that is why when you see a person, when you see a flower, and you think that the flower is inside of a skin, you are wrong. The flower is the whole cosmos. And in the ultimate, you have to see like that. You have to touch the nature of non-locality of everything. And you have to be free from the notion of space and time and this and that and so on. And then the Buddha was a very uh, kind teacher. He did everything uh, that his his disciples uh, requested. So he tried to help uh, people to rise in order to see the 
ancient Buddha sitting still alive in that. And then what happens next is that uh, Ratna Prabhupada Buddha uh, uh, invites Sakyamuni Buddha to come up and sit in the same chair uh, uh, with him. He made some place and invites Sakyamuni to come. And Sakyamuni Buddha went up and sit close to, to uh, Ratna Prabhupada Buddha to show that they are not two Buddhas, they are one. And that teaching uh, of, the, of the Lotus Sutra uses a lot, lot of beautiful images in order to, to tell us the truth. It's like a cinema. Uh, movies, they may use uh, many uh, skillful means in order to show what uh, the the usual language cannot show. So the first time uh, the audience see the real Buddha and do not consider the Buddha is uh, something that is located in time and space. Its nature is non-local. So this is true as far as a flower is concerned. Although the flower is uh, devoid of a substantial uh, separate existence, but it uh, contains the whole cosmos in it. It is not only here, but there at the same time. The same thing is true with uh, uh, an electron. An electron is like that. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, there is uh, also many beautiful things, many teachings that, that say the same, same thing. The Bodhisattva Manjushri has a young disciple, 13 or 4 year old, 14 year old only. His name is uh, Sudatta. Uh, Sudatta. Uh, his name is Sudana. Sudana. Thiên Tài. When Brother Pháp Hữu, Brother Pháp Hữu uh, is the abode of the upper hamlet. He came as a young man of 13, that age. Sudana was at that age. And Manjushri wanted him to go and learn from many, many teachers, Buddhist and non-Buddhist. And uh, Sudana was able to go and learn from many, many teachers. And one day, Someone said, Sudana, you have to go and meet the mother of the Buddha. She's a wonderful teacher. Mahamaya is her name. And you have to meet her. 
But uh, Sudana was trying hard to find where the mother of the Buddha is. But finally, he could not. So a person told him that in order to see, to meet, uh, to see uh, uh, Queen Maya, you have to sit down quietly and breathe and contemplate and focus your attention on the mother of the Buddha. That's the only way uh, you can see her. Wondering, looking in space and time, you cannot see her. So Sudana, Sudana sit down and uh, practice uh, mindful breathing and focus attention on the mother Buddha. And suddenly, he saw himself sitting on a lotus flower, a giant lotus flower with 1,000 petals. Not sitting on burning charcoal, but sitting on a very fresh, beautiful lotus uh, flower. And looking up, he see Lady Mahamaya, the mother of, uh, of the Buddha. He was sitting on one of the petals of the flower, and the mother of the Buddha was sitting on another petal of the big flower. And she's smiling to him. And he joined his palm and wished to receive a teaching from her. And Sudana uh, asked her to tell the story of her uh, giving birth uh, to the Buddha, uh, to the Buddha Sakyamuni. And uh, Lady Mahamaya said, Young man, the day I conceive Siddhartha in my womb is the happiest day. I cannot describe to you the happiness I got in the moment I conceive Siddhartha. I was sitting there when so many bodhisattvas came from many directions of the sky and asked my permission to go inside of me in order to visit their friend, Siddhartha. And before I can say yes, they just penetrate into my womb. They want to see whether their friend Siddhartha was comfortable inside of me. <laughs> And I feel wonderful. I feel in myself. Not only the presence of uh, Siddhartha, but many of his friends, countless um, uh, friends of his, are visiting him. They just want to see whether their friend is comfortable. Young man, do you know something? At that moment, I felt that if uh, there are more thousands of Bodhisattvas who want to come in in order to visit my child, there is still plenty of space inside. 
It means that I am large. I contain multitude. Young man, do you know something? I am the mother of all Buddhas in the past. I am the mother of all Buddhas in the present. And I am the mother of all future Buddhas. That is what uh, uh, my Mahamaya taught uh, uh, Sudana. So we have to learn to, to look into ourselves and see that we are not a tiny human being like this, limited in time and space. We have to see that we are made of stars and galaxies. The whole cosmos is in us. Not only our lifespan is not limited to 100 years, we are not a, it's not possible for us to be born and to die. We are at the same time here and there. We like Shakyamuni Buddha that can give teaching at the same time on earth and in the Yama uh, heaven. And uh, someone, some uh, Catholic, uh, Protestant um, theologian said that uh, as far as the outward concern, you cannot use the, the daily language. You have to use a symbolic language. I think uh, modern science is going to use a symbolic language in order to try to convey what uh, scientists uh, begin to see. In fact, their language has become too difficult for us to understand. And the Mahayana Sutras when describing, tell, retelling the teaching of the Buddha, they use wonderful image, they use wonderful language like that to convey to us the true nature of reality, uh, free from the notion of time, space, here and there, uh, subject and object. And uh, we may be we may see ourselves as a mother. There is countless Buddha inside of us. And if we are able to recognize that, we will cherish ourselves. We will have deep respect toward our own body. Because we can be the mother of all Buddhas in the past. We can be the mother or father of all Buddhas in the future.
we continue tomorrow.